Well, I want you to think about a time in your life, a situation that you've gone through. Maybe it's the current situation that we're in right now, but I want you to think about something that happened unexpectedly to you, something that you didn't anticipate, something that was unpredictable. You didn't see it coming, and all of a sudden you were in the midst of this situation. When you think about this time in your life, uh, what comes to your mind might be a job transfer or a job loss. Maybe it was a car accident. Maybe it was uh, you went to the doctor and you, didn't, you thought one thing was going to happen, but you didn't expect the bad news diagnosis, and then you got it, and you, you didn't know what to do about it. Maybe it was a relationship that broke up. Maybe it was a sudden death of someone that you loved very much. Those are things that sometimes can happen and sometimes do happen in our lives. None of us are immune from sudden disasters striking us in our lives. When something like this happens, typically our first response is to be shocked. Typically our first response is to be stopped in our tracks. There are a series of other things that then happen. There is sadness and there is fear and maybe there is anger that wells up inside of us. These are the typical natural responses that we all have to deal with. When I think about a situation like this, I often think about the unexpected events that have happened in my life that have involved my children. On one occasion, uh, I remember this involving our youngest daughter, Eliana. Eliana was born in September uh, of 2012, and she has been a joy, as has all of our children, been a joy to my wife and I. Now, we have a picture of her this morning when she was a baby, but... Uh, You know, if you've ever had children, if you have grandchildren, you know just how precious that little life is. As a parent, as a grandparent, you want to protect that child. You want to keep them from danger and harm and just the troubles of this world, the pains of this life. Well, when Eliana was about three and a half months old, it was December around Christmas time, And there were a couple of days in a row that she was not sleeping very well at all. And it wasn't just because she was a baby. She was crying a lot. She was really uh, uh, fussy. And we weren't really sure why that was. You know, as parents, we did all that we could, the normal things that you do to try to soothe a baby. We fed her and we changed her diaper and we walked her around. We rocked her to sleep. But nothing was working. Now, I'm not one to rush off to the doctor for a lot of things and... Uh, So we let that go on for a couple of days, but finally my wife says, you know what, the way that she cries seems like something is really wrong here, and I'm not really sure why. I've tried all of these things. It's not working. You know what, we might have to take her to the ER. Well, sure enough, we do take her to the ER. She ends up getting admitted into one hospital. She gets transferred over to another hospital. They discover that there was a virus, there was this infection in her knee, and so on New Year's Day, the surgeon goes in and does surgery in order to clean out this infection. But through this whole process, through the the hospital visit, she was there for like eight days, another couple of weeks in recovery at home, but I just remember thinking how uncertain things were. There are lots of emotions involved in all of this, and it was even kind of scary Now, in those moments, we always have our natural reactions. We always have our natural emotions, but then we have to decide what we're going to do with that. How are we going to deal with what we're feeling right now? How are we going to respond to the real-life situation that we're in? Where are we going to go when unexpected things happen? Who are we going to turn to in those moments? Well, 
What, what sets God's people apart in those situations is that we are moved to look to the Lord and to put our trust and our faith in Him. We run to Him, we trust in Him when unexpected circumstances in life come our way. Sure, we're, we're going to feel all of the emotions, we're going to feel and experience the weight and the pressure of all of these things. But as we experience that, we bring our burdens, we bring our cares to the Lord, and we cry out to Him, we trust in His good plans in our lives. If you have a Bible with you this morning, um, I want to invite you to join me in Psalm chapter 125, or you can open that Bible app, but join me, Psalm 125. Now, this is the sixth of 15 Psalms of Ascent, and we've been talking about this, we've talked about this before, but these are pilgrim songs. They were kind of like a playlist of songs for the Israelite people. Songs that they would sing to themselves and to each other as they left their homes, as they left their villages in order to make their way up to Jerusalem, in order to go and to worship God there during the annual feast celebrations that he had set up for them. As they're going along, as we've been going through these songs, what we see is that these songs really address a whole bunch of different issues of life. That these songs in and of themselves deal with real life things. They teach us how to walk with the Lord. As these pilgrims journeyed along, as they sang these songs, they would be reflecting back to God and they would be reflecting on His faithfulness, His past work in their lives, which I think is really helpful for us today as well, that, that as we read these psalms, that, that they help us to think about the faithfulness of God in our daily lives. Really, these songs are songs of discipleship. These songs teach us what it means to walk with the Lord in our daily lives. And I think that one of the great things that we need to remember is that we don't journey alone, but we journey with others. We journey together in this life. And so before we read uh, Psalm 125, I just want to, I want you to imagine being with a group of people, you're traveling along together, you go around the bend in a road, or maybe you just come up over this incline a little bit. But uh, you see off in the distance that there are these mountains. It's the mountains of Judah. As you see these mountains of Judah off in the distance, they start, you start to sing this, these songs together. These people are singing these songs, and I'm not going to sing this this morning. That would be a bad idea. That, that wouldn't sound too good. But I want you to look at the words here of this psalm. Psalm 125. I'm going to read it, and here's what it says. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked waves, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Imagine these pilgrims looking towards Jerusalem. They see all of the rays of the sun shining off of these stone walls in the distance. Maybe they see the, the, the sun shining off of the gold that, that's gleaming off of the temple itself. And, and they say, you know what? Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. 
You know, this psalm starts out in a very encouraging place, and the psalmist uses this word that is surprisingly hasn't yet been used in the Psalms of Ascent. This is the sixth psalm in this playlist of songs, and this is the first time that we hear this word, that we see this word, and it's the word trust. Those who trust in the Lord. Now, of course, we're talking about trusting in the Lord, and, and uh, we have talked about trusting in the Lord here in this series, but this is the first time that this word is actually used in this section of the Psalms, that this phrase, trust in the Lord, means to rely on, to put your full confidence in the Lord. I, I don't know if you've ever had been a part of one of those trust-building exercises before, but uh, there are a number that might come to your mind, but one of them that comes to my mind is the trust fall. Now, if you've never been a part of a trust fall before, we have a picture that you can kind of get an idea of what this is going to, what this looks like. But what happens is that one person, they get up on a platform or maybe they get up on the bed of a pickup truck or maybe on the, a table and they're blindfolded or they close their eyes. There's this group of people that they're building trust with who are behind them and they have their arms out. Now, the, the person who's up there on the platform kind of crosses their arms and they fall back into the arms of the other people. Now, that, that person who is falling back, they're trusting that they're going to be caught by the people who are behind them. Now, maybe you look at this picture and you say, there's no way that I would ever do that. I, I wouldn't trust people to catch me. But what the psalmist is talking about here is a trust that we have in the Lord. It's this idea of being all in with him. It's of letting go of our own plans, letting go of anything that is hold, that we're holding on to for security here in this life. To trust the Lord is to know who he is and then to go and to fall back into his arms. Charles Spurgeon calls this sanctified common sense. And he writes this, he says, to trust in the living God is sanctified common sense, which needs no excuse. Its result will be its best vindication. In other words, if you're wondering, well, uh, should I trust in the Lord? You're only going to get the answer to that if you actually do trust in the Lord. Because the result of trusting in the Lord proves that, that you were really smart in trusting in the Lord. <clears throat> Again, in verse 1, it says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. You know, the psalmist gives us this image here and uh, this kind of picture of what the people of God are like who trust in him. It's this image of a mountain. It's Mount Zion, the mountain of Jerusalem that it was built on, that this place where the temple was located. Now, some of you might be able to remember back into the history of Israel that King David had actually uh, chosen Jerusalem as the location where the royal palace would be and then where the temple would be built because of how well protected the area was. Uh, because of the hills in that area, there, there, it, it was well protected. It was the most well protected area, the most well protected location in all of Israel. And so David says, you know, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, that's where I'm going to build my palace. That's where the temple is going to be built because that is the most secure place in all of Israel. You know, I, I think about this, and we, we don't have a lot of big mountains here in Chicago, but it does remind me of the last time that I was in Seattle, Washington. And if you've ever been to Seattle before, you know that if you look off to the northeast of the city, there is this huge, beautiful mountain called Mount Rainier, 
we have a picture of the mountain here this morning that we're going to put up on the screen, but I, I read this uh, first verse here in this psalm, and that's the picture that kind of comes to my mind, that it's almost like those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Rainier, which cannot be moved but abides forever. You, you can drive from Seattle all the way up into Canada, a couple of hours into Canada, and still see Mount Rainier. If you're in Seattle and you're driving on the highway, you're not going to be surprised if you look up and you see this huge mountain. What would be surprising is that if you looked up and it was a clear day and you didn't see Mount Rainier or Mount Rainier had been moved. Like, where is it? That's not going to happen. I mean, Mount Rainier isn't going anywhere. It's not moving. At the same time, in the same way, Mount Zion isn't going anywhere, and the psalmist says, well, that's what it's like for the people who trust in the Lord, that when the circumstances of life are chaotic all around them, when things are all falling apart, that we're not not knocked over, we're not even moved. Now, you read this, and the natural question that would come to your mind is, well, why not? I mean, why are those who trust in the Lord not moved? Look again at verse 2, and it says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. I want to show you another picture of these mountains that are surrounding Jerusalem. Now, this is a modern-day picture. This is a bird's-eye view of the city of Jerusalem. And you can just kind of see the Temple Mount there with all of the... uh, It's in the lower right-hand portion of the picture. But then you look at the larger picture and... There are these mountains that surround the city of Jerusalem, that area there. You see, even Jerusalem, as Jerusalem is surrounded by these mountains, that these mountains, they kind of cradle this city. They kind of protect this city. But in a similar way, the psalmist says that the Lord surrounds, that the Lord protects his people. Now, I want us to understand something that is very important here, and that is this, that the secret to the strength of God's people is not found in how great their faith in the Lord is. It's found in how great the Lord is in whom they put their faith. Let me say that again. The secret to the strength of God's people is not found in how great their faith is in the Lord. It's found in how great the Lord is in whom they put their faith. You know, sometimes we think that our stability is somehow dependent upon how much faith in the Lord we can somehow muster up. And in difficult times, we, we, we see this in ourselves very clearly that the situation uh, is just showing me how really weak and how frail I am. And so if our thought is, well, you know what, I just need to make myself have some more faith and then I'm going to be good, that's not going to work. I'm reminded of a time in the Gospels when Jesus told his disciples that if they have the faith the size of a mustard seed, and a mustard seed is really, really small, but if they had the faith the size of a mustard seed, they could actually see mountains be lifted up and put into, thrown into the sea. Now, Jesus wasn't said, he didn't say, you know what, if you have the faith the size of a watermelon, he didn't say, you know what, if you have the faith the size of a redwood tree, he says, the faith of a mustard seed. Friends, the point is not about how much faith we can somehow drum up. It's about what we're doing with the little faith that we do have. Because a little faith and a great God can move a mountain. Or as the psalmist says, a little faith and a great God can keep you stable as an immovable mountain. God will keep us. It is his strength 
that we rely upon, not our own, which should bring us great comfort when, we, uh, when the unexpected, unanticipated, unwanted events of life come crashing in. Because, of course, when they happen, we are going to be rattled by them. Uh, of course, we are going to be upset by them. Of course, we're going to be hurt In those moments, we uh, only have maybe a little bit of faith to draw on. But if we're trusting in the Lord, in the midst of those circumstances, He will surround us. He will keep us. That's the promise that He gives. One of the challenging realities of life is that our faith only tends to grow. As we go through difficult times and as we see our need, as we understand that we don't have any strength in and of ourselves, that that, that we are really desperately in need of the Lord. And honestly, I think that we are in the midst of a season like that right now in our own lives, in our world, in this city, in our country. And and, um, we need to trust the Lord. As we trust the Lord, it builds our faith. But not only does it build our faith, it gives us the opportunity to come alongside other people and to say, you know what? You can trust in the Lord because he is trustworthy. You know, Psalm 125 starts out with this great encouragement to trust in the Lord. Verse 3 calls us to remember that there are things and there are people who are going to try to move us away from trusting in the Lord. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that this is true. The reality is is that if trusting the Lord was a simple thing to do, then we would do it all the time. But it's not. It's a challenge. In verse 3 it says, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. The psalmist begins by talking about trusting in the Lord, about uh, what, what it's like to trust in the Lord for those who trust in the Lord, how we can be secure because God is holding us. But then it's like he remembers that there is also a danger, that there is a battle that's going on. One of the great challenges of trusting the Lord is when it seems like wickedness is winning the day, when unrighteousness and unrighteous rulers kind of have their way with things. This is something that the people of God have often had to deal with. People like Joseph and Moses, Daniel, Esther, and Nehemiah, all of the apostles had to deal with unrighteous rulers. It's very difficult to trust in the Lord when unrighteous rulers are in a position of authority, especially when they're making life miserable personally for you. The Israelites had experienced this time and time again throughout their history. Sometimes it was a foreign invader that would come in and, and just totally conquer the people and then rule over them in an unrighteous way. In other times, it was the very kings of Israel who were the unrighteous rulers. And the danger when that happens, the temptation when that comes, is that the psalmist says, the righteous will stretch out their hands to do wrong. Now, there are a few different ways that we could understand what's being said there. It could mean that they're actually joining in with the unrighteousness. They're joining in with the wicked rulers themselves, and they kind of say, you know what? It seems like everything's going well for them and they're they're doing all of these things. Why don't I just join them and join along in their behavior? Or it may mean that you're resisting the unrighteous rulers in an unrighteous way. It's kind of like, you know what? 
I'm just going to try to beat the unrighteous people here by beating them at their own game. You know, why not join them? Uh, Or I'm not going to join them, rather, but I'm going to be against them, but I'm going to do it in an ungodly way. Now, both of these ways of doing things is an act of not trusting in the Lord. There is an example in the scriptures of someone who did do this well, who did trust in the Lord, and that's the prophet Daniel. In fact, if you read the book of Daniel, you can read how he and some of his friends as well, but it's interesting how he interacts with the great world leaders of his day. Daniel was a young man. He was taken off into exile, taken off into captivity through uh, what, what, uh, what uh, had happened to Israel, that these uh, foreign pagan nations had come in and invaded and taken them off. And, and God raised up Daniel to be a counselor to a number of world leaders at that time. Now, oftentimes, these men who Daniel served were carrying a scepter of wickedness that that you think about a guy like Nebuchadnezzar. This is not a guy who was a man after God's own heart. This was not a guy who had faith in the God of Israel. As you read through the story of Daniel, though, you see how he trusted in the Lord. That God then used Daniel to give righteous counsel to each of these rulers that he served. There were times when Daniel could have actually turned against these rulers. He could have had them killed. He could have had them overthrown, but he didn't do that. He trusted the Lord. He knew that God had him in a position for a reason like this. That God is greater, that God is more powerful than any human earthly king who seems to be over us. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to follow him, which wasn't easy. In fact, it almost cost him his life when he was thrown into the den of lions. In the end, Daniel wasn't moved by that, but rather because of his trust, he was greatly used by the Lord. Because of the challenge of truly trusting the Lord, because of the temptation that we are faced in the midst of trusting the Lord, the psalmist now turns to prayer. Again, if you look at verses 4 and 5, he prays this. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Notice the, the first request in this prayer is that God would do good to those who are good, that he would do good to those who are upright in heart. Now, We might read that and think, well, you know, does that mean that God is just going to bless me um, because of my good works? Well, that's not really what the psalmist is saying here. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how trusting the Lord results in the goodness, uh, the good fruits in our own lives. Goodness is actually a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that God produces in us. He produces from us through the work of the Spirit in our lives. That God does that for our good, but he also does that for the good of others around us. So the psalmist is saying, God, would you use those who are good to be good to the other people around them as well? If we run after the things of this world, the things that this world runs after, if we run after sin and evil and wickedness, that's not going to produce the right kind of fruit in our lives. In, in fact, just the opposite is going to happen, and that's what the, the psalmist is warning us about in the second part of this prayer in verse 5. The second part of the prayer 
is really a warning. And the warning is this, that there will be judgment coming on those evildoers who do not choose to trust in the Lord. There are a couple of examples of this in Scripture. In the Old Testament, there is a guy by the name of Achan. Now, Joshua, he leads the people of Israel into the promised land. God gives them these great victories. One of the cities that are conquered is uh, Jericho. That they, All they have to do is march around the city walls a few times. They blow their trumpets. They shout. And God brings down this, these massive walls. They come tumbling, crashing to the ground. God had told the Israelites not to take anything for themselves from the city of Jericho. He had told them that they, they, they were not to worry, that he was going to take care of them, that he was going to provide for them. But he says, you know what? The plunder from Jericho is for me. The plunder of Jericho is for the worship of me. Well, Achan decided not to listen to the Lord, not to trust in the Lord. He saw these beautiful things. He looked, he, he took some of them and he hid them for himself. I think about the temptation in that moment of just kind of looking at everything, seeing all of this beautiful stuff, and just saying, you know what? They're not going to miss a couple of things being gone. If I just take a couple of things for myself, they're not going to miss it, and you know what? I'll be able to take care of myself, and God won't have to worry about me. But you know, you know the story, right? That God knew what had happened, and God actually calls Achan out on this. And Achan and his whole family are destroyed because they choose to not trust in the Lord. New Testament, there is a parallel story to the story of Achan. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. That the people of God are going into a new land. They're going into a new season. They're going into, it's the birth of the church. The people in the church were really happy to give and to support each other. And they understood that the Lord was the one who was providing for them and, and, and helping them to provide for each other. Well, one day, Ananias and Sapphira, they come forward and they say, hey, we had this property, we had this piece of land, and we decided that we would sell it, and we are going to give all of, we're giving all of the money to, to the church. Here's all of the money for the church. Well, the problem is that they had lied. They had lied to God. They had lied to the church. They had kept back part of that money for themselves. They, they were trusting in their own riches. They were trusting in their own ability to provide for themselves. In a similar, it's a similar story to the story of Achan, and God calls Ananias and Sapphira out. Each of them individually had the opportunity to repent, but they didn't. And they disobeyed God, and their disobedience cost them dearly. This is a very serious warning, one that we need to take to heart. And maybe, we're in, maybe you're in a situation right now in your life where you're having to choose between trusting in the Lord and doing what's good, or giving in to temptation and disobeying the Lord and following in the ways of evildoers. Friends, listen. God's promise is to protect his people, to provide for those who trust in him. You can count on the fact that he will come through for you. But at the same time, there is this warning here. Uh, there's this warning, and this warning is true as well. And so I, I would encourage you that you need to choose to trust in the Lord. As we close our time here this morning, I just want to remind you that it's not about the greatness of your faith that is going to keep you strong and keep you moving forward in life. No, it's about the greatness of God 
that, that you put your faith in. It's the, the, the greatness, the strength of God that he's the one who actually holds you up. How strong is God? How, 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 how strong is God's strength? Well, he's strong enough to carry you through whatever you might be facing right now. He's strong enough to, to protect you in the midst of every storm, in the midst of every battle that you go through. I think about how God took care of our greatest burden, our sin, through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus hung in our place on the cross. He took away our guilt. He took away our shame so that we didn't have that burden anymore to carry. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, the weight of your sin isn't yours to carry anymore. It's his. And he is strong enough to do it. That's how strong he is. And if he can carry that weight, then there is no weight that is too great for God to carry. There is nothing that is outside of his ability, nothing that is outside of his control, which is really great news in the midst of the, uh, the, the turbulent, chaotic, ever-changing circumstances of this life. God has never dropped anyone. And he is not going to drop you either. You can trust him. You can trust in Jesus. Let's pray.